Please turn with me to to Hebrews eleven twenty two. Hebrews eleven twenty two. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Want to again invite our children, if there are any of them. I know a few of them might be. Uh, uh, experiencing the effects of sugar overload today, but I will still invite them down front. Just a handful, but that's okay. We've got a couple spots over here, guys. Very good. So tonight, as we have for the past several weeks, we've been talking about a certain guy in the Bible. Do you remember his name? Yes, Joseph, that's right. We were talking about Joseph and his story. Well, tonight, the story is going to come to an end. I know, it's very sad, isn't it? And you're wondering, do I have candy or do I not? (laughs) Well, I want to ask you a question. The question is, when you go on a trip, maybe you go to your grandparents or you go somewhere special where you have to pack a bag, Maybe on vacation or or you go somewhere special. What kind of things do you pack in your bag? Yeah, Clothes. Clothes, That's always good. Yes. Toys. Toys, Always good to have toys. We got some clothes in here. This is Tyler's bag, actually. He likes Phineas and Ferb. Yes. (laughs) Yes, you always pack your underwear. That's always good. Your mother taught you well. Clean underwear. Yes. Monster trucks and toys. I got things in here like shoes. We've got like a soap and deodorant, our toothbrush, and all of those things. Now, do you know why we pack all of those things? So that we're, we are prepared to get where we're going. And tonight we're going to talk about how God prepared Joseph to get where he was going, but he was taking a longer trip. Than you or I have ever taken. And so we're going to do that. And um, since I've kind of set the standard, I guess what I'll do is go ahead and give you what Joseph was or what God was to Joseph. I'm going to give you, and this is with your parents' permission, you go back and make sure that's okay. I'm giving you a lifesaver. Okay? And the reason I'm giving you a lifesaver is because all throughout the story of Joseph, he has learned... Just a second. He has learned... Here you go, guys. Joseph has learned... And there you go, Aaron. He has learned that God is his lifesaver. And that's the lesson I want you guys to remember, that God is your lifesaver wherever you go. Now, tonight there is not a children's hour, so you're just going to go back and sit with your families, your parents or your grandparents, or wherever you came from, go back and sit with them, okay? And you ask them if that's okay. Well, we finished tonight in a series of five sermons over the life of Joseph. And if you're a guest here this evening or you're visiting from out of town... I'm kind of sad that you missed the first four sermons because they really have built up and led to this point. 
But that's okay. It's still going to be a good lesson. And it's part of a greater series that we're talking about on Sunday nights about faith walkers. Studying the people throughout history that have walked by faith in an unseen God. How they did it and how they did it applies to us and how we have faith in the same unseen God. We left last week with Joseph and his family as I told the kids about the reunion that would happen in Egypt and how God resolved all of the conflicts that were in Joseph's story. And you would think that that would sort of be the stopping point, the happily ever after, which maybe that would have been if March had four Sundays, but it didn't. Five Sundays. So I had to think, what is the true ending of this story? Remember, we said in studying the story, there are five basic elements in every story. They are the characters, the plot, the conflict, the resolution, and the ending. Now, the ending is very important because we are discovering how the characters have changed through the process of the story. In other words, how are they different at the end of the story than they were at the beginning? And so if you're in your Bibles tonight, you'll want to turn to Genesis chapter 50, verses 24 and 25. That's going to be our text tonight. That's where we're going to anchor. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you another story. This is a parable. There once was a hotel, and in that hotel lived many, many people. Now, this hotel was unlike any other hotel you've been to before in that the arrangement of the guests and the rooms was very unique. In this hotel, the very rich, the very powerful, the very influential, and the very successful and famous all took the top floors. And they lived in beautiful, exquisite, plush, fully furnished uh, penthouse suites. And it was wonderful for them. Now, at the very bottom floors of the hotel, and even lower into the basement areas, were the poor and the downtrodden, the people who had been dealt a bad hand in life. And in these rooms, they were very sparsely furnished, often just a table, a chair. If you were lucky, you might have a mattress. And everyone else lived somewhere in between. Now... In addition to the way that this hotel was laid out, the guests behaved very strangely. You see, the guests were often concerned with the rooms. Some of them had decent rooms, but they wanted better rooms. Everybody longed to be on the top floors, and no one wanted to be on the very bottom floors. Many people spent much of their life discontent with their room seeking a better room, aspiring to live on a higher floor. Now, the rooms were all situated by floor, as I've said. Each floor had a leader. The rooms would elect a leader. The leader would be in charge. And he or she would make all the rules governing the rooms of that particular floor. The leader would uh, have a lot of power and prestige, and the leader usually had the best room on the floor. And so there are many people, in addition to desiring a different room, they also desired a better role. They wanted to be more powerful. They aspired to be a leader. Because the leaders were the ones who could make the rules. They had the power. 
Well, that's kind of how it went day to day, day after day, week after week, month after month, in this beautiful grand hotel where all the guests live. But they were focused either on getting a better room, becoming a leader on their floor, making more rules. The higher floors looked down on the lower floors. The lower floors were envious of the higher floors. And uh, the benevolent hotel owner, well, he just was perplexed by all of this. You see, he was a very good hotel owner. And he loved his guests very much, but he did not understand their strange behavior. He wondered if, perchance, that the guests at the hotel that he owned had forgotten that, indeed, he owned the hotel. He wondered if they understood that they were truly just guests in this hotel, that it was not meant to be their home, that one day he would send a bellhop up to their room or down to their room. There would be a gentle knock on the door, and they would be asked to check out. And no amount of pleading or bargaining would allow them to stay any longer than the owner allowed. The owner was curious then why his guests focused so much on staying in a place that was very temporary. He wondered what they would do when they had to check out. We're going to talk about checking out tonight. And how are you planning to check out? If you're in Genesis chapter 50 verses 24 and 25... You're reading the story of Joseph checking out. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear on oath and said, God will surely come to your aid. Then you must carry my bones up from this place. I think there are three lessons that we can gather from these two verses, and these three lessons have three life applications for us. Number one, this will shock you, but you are going to die. I, I realize that's a strange sentiment, and, and highly positive. I, I know you like upbeat and inspiring sermons, so let me be more positive. I'm positive that you are going to die. Joseph said this at the beginning. He had lived, the scriptures tell us, to age 110. He had a pretty good full life. He had his family surrounded him. He had seen the fulfillment of every dream that he had ever had. He trusted God. He knew God kept his word and his promise. And yet... He acknowledged he was going to die. There is a legend of Memento Mori. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this legend or not, but it occurred within the Roman world. Uh, as Roman was, the Rome was the dominant country of the world at the time, whenever they would make a conquest, the general who made the conquest would come back to accolades and parades. And he would be loved and, and heralded and, ex, and beloved as their hero. And then we are told that 
within the parade itself was a single servant who was given the sole job to walk behind the victorious general and say these words, Momento Mori. Momento Mori. Which basically translated means, Remember, one day you are going to die. It was their way of humbling the generals. Not to get too caught up in themselves, not to think they were bigger than the momentary battle, but to remember that even them, the great, powerful generals, beloved by all the people, one day would end up at their death day. Scripture says much the same. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, It is appointed to all men to die once, and after that to face judgment. Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24, All men are like grass, their glory like the flowers of the field. And what is his conclusion? The grass withers, the flowers fade. We are reminded that we will come to a day of our memento mori. We'll have one this week. For a sister in Christ who I love very deeply, Miss Edna Baker. Many of you loved her just the same. She encouraged you. She loved you. She smiled when it was painful to smile. Memento mori. Now, the good news is that Edna was prepared for that day. And so then, when we remember her life, and we come together for her memento more. We will weep, but we will not grieve. We will understand that this is just a momentary separation. Joseph understood that this day was coming. And though God had fulfilled all of his dreams, he had not fulfilled the one promise which he had made to Abraham, Isaac, and his father Jacob, and to him and his brothers, which was he would bring them to the promised land. That wouldn't come, scriptures say, for 400 years later. And yet Joseph knew from the events of his life that God would fulfill the dream even if it meant after his death. Joseph and his life prepared the way for his death's instructions. You see, because he understood that this moment was not the moment. I love reading at funerals when they hand out the pamphlet. Sometimes you'll see this inscription. And death is a horizon. And what is a horizon? Save the limit of our sight. And it helps to, for me to put that in perspective. Miss Edna went over the horizon. My friend, uh, dad of my mentor, Russ Hass, his father yesterday also went over the horizon. All of us in here at one point will come to the horizon. And those we leave behind will weep 
And that's perfectly understandable. But we who have hope in Christ know it's just a horizon. Almost exactly a year ago today, my maternal grandmother had her memento mori. And she was a woman who I respected very much. And she influenced me a great deal in my faith. As the family gathered and waited for the memento mori, we were called in to go into grandmother's room with pictures lining the walls and, and we, we watched the woman who was so vibrant and full of energy as she laid on that hospice bed. And we took turns going into the room and saying our goodbyes. I'm old enough now, I've had to do that a few times. Some of you have, to as, have had to as well. This is very hard to do. There aren't words that are appropriate for preparing to say goodbye. I remember the very, very first funeral I ever went to. I couldn't have been more than four or five years old. My great-grandfather, Grandpa Alan Levering. I don't remember much about the man at all. He died when I was very young. But I do remember the memento mori. Because we walked into the funeral home. We got in line with the family. My brother, who's a little younger than I, we both walked up to a casket like this, which was open, and there inside laid my great-grandfather. And we looked inside to see what we thought a man who was sleeping. And we looked up and asked Dad, what, what are we here for? And Dad, with tears in his eyes, said, We are here to say goodbye. So with childlike innocence, myself and my brother peered over the edge, looked at this sleeping man, and said, Goodbye. And yet, for as innocent as it was, it was the best explanation I could have for what we do at a funeral. With one exception. When I went into my grandmother's room, I didn't say goodbye. I said, I love you. I told her I appreciated her. And then as we hugged, I said, Grandma, I'll see you later. You see, she was prepared as Joseph was prepared for the final moments. This is an illustration by Francis Chan. I wish I could claim it as my own. If this string represents, I'm sorry, if this uh, string represents our eternal souls, this blue part represents just our life. And we focus so much on this part of our life. You know, and we, we, we work and we, we save so we can have a, bunch, a really good retirement for the end of this part of the tape and, and be everything just fine. And we fail to remember that there's a whole lot of string. In fact, Chris, would you do me a favor and just take this string and I just want you to pull it all the way outside. Because this represents our soul. It goes on far beyond just that moment. Didn't realize it would run out. That's a bad illustration. <laughs> All right, Chris is going to keep me rolling here. And it just kept on, just keep on pulling it, it'd be fine. Philip, can you help him out? 
There you go. All right, good job. You see, for the world, this is very short. It goes by very fast. It must be clung to tightly. The, the teens have a saying that started by a guy who's a fool, and he called it YOLO. And he said, you only live once. And he says, hold on to this tape. But God said, there's more to it than that. You don't stop just because you go in here. There's an eternal part of you that just keeps going and going and going. And it doesn't stop. And Joseph understood the words was 110 years or 400 years. Memento mori didn't stop God's promise. And though he was going to die, he trusted in God's promise and was then so prepared to die. In such a way that he could be courageous. I guess in one sense you do live once. But it's for a very long time. And you better be ready when you step into this box. Or when someone puts you there. That you're ready for the rest of the line. Because no matter what the world tells you. It doesn't stop here. You may think my grandmother's dead. But that's a lie. She is more alive now than she has ever been. You may think that sweet Edna is gone, but she is not. She's more here than she ever was. And God has fulfilled the promise that he has fulfilled in each of us. And we must prepare for that moment because it comes quicker than we think. The third point is that Joseph's destination was not Egypt. It was his home, I guess, for a time. But Joseph was not at home in Egypt. It's the verse that Tyler read. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. You turn just a few chapters over to Exodus chapter 13, verse 19. Go ahead, turn there. As you In, in Exodus chapter 13... They are leaving Egypt. Now, this is just a, a few pages away in our Bible. But you understand, it is hundreds of years have passed. People don't remember Joseph or his children by this point. Joseph is long gone. And yet, because of the oath he made his descendants swear, this is what we find in chapter 13, verse 19, Moses doing. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath. And he said, God will surely come to your aid. Then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. I love that picture. As they're leaving Egypt, as they're going to the Red Sea. I don't know how his bones looked. I don't know what form or fashion it was in, but... Here's Moses instructing a few guys to haul some, some bones out of this land. Bones that Joseph knew would rest in Canaan when God was ready. And it's the same for us. I don't really mean to be crude, but our bones will rest in the promised land when God is ready. The question is not, is God ready? The question is, are we ready? So that's the three life lessons I leave you. The very same ones that Joseph learned. Number one, you're going to die. It is going to happen. 
And I wish, oh, how I wish that we didn't just have funeral moments, you know, those funeral moments where you think on, a, on a, a beautiful person's life and you think about what they've done and the impact that they've made and you hear wonderful stories. And then you reflect on your own life and you say, what? What about me? What will my day be like? I wish we could remember more often than we do that our moment is coming. Prepare. Prepare is the second point. Don't think this day is not coming. It's coming sooner than you think. And if you're not prepared, it's going to be a tragic day. That's not politically correct to say, but it's true. Are you prepared? I mean, are you prepared? When you see this... Does it strike fear in your heart? I mean, I remember the day I decided to be baptized. I had studied. I knew the scriptures. I knew what I had to do. And I sat there in the pew because I decided to do it Sunday night. And I, and I was just kind of weeping Sunday morning because I was sure that, that Jesus was coming back Sunday afternoon. I was sure something was going to happen. And you may call that childlike, but that was very sincere because I knew at that point I was not ready. I wasn't ready to meet God. And I don't want anyone to leave here unprepared. I don't want to overlook you. If you're not prepared, get prepared. Because when you are in Christ, the only way to get to God it's not politically correct either. But when you are ready to meet God through Christ, then this box can't hold you. Just like the cross couldn't hold our Savior. There is nothing that will hold you. And God has a glorious eternity planned for you. But it all depends on your choice. Is your destination here? Is your home in this Hotel? Are you looking better to, to, a, to a bigger house, to, to a better place, to, to a home not built with hands whose builder is God? We long for it, don't we? I understand the difficulty of talking about death on a day of life and resurrection, but don't you understand that it's the resurrection that makes this not quite so painful? Paul would say, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where is your sting? It's not there. It's been defeated. Not just by the cross, but by the empty tomb. Oh, please, please, if you are not prepared, get prepared. If we can do that tonight, we want to help you. If we can prepare you, if we can help you, if we can pray for you, if we can do anything for you. Please don't wait any longer. Please come as we stand and sing.